0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: You slap on Tyrus to change the behavior of a trading partner, and it looks like the president got their attention. But he means business, and you know it, he's been completely consistent on this issue for four years now.
2: He's absolutely deadly serious. In fact, I fully expect these these tariffs to go on to at least the 5% level uh, on June 10th. The president is deadly serious about fixing the situation at the southern border. They've got tremendously strong immigration laws, much stronger than ours. They have the ability to do things that we cannot. Congress will not help us fix our laws, so we're turning to Mexico to help us fix the situation on the border.
1: Now he is putting uh, some measures in place that hopefully will get them to engage more so that they will start to help us in this process. We can't continue down the path that we're on. We can't continue to operate as a sovereign country with no borders and without enforcement.
0: And now, Stacy Washington.
1: Hey there.
3: Welcome back to the program. So good to be with you. Listen, we have a fantastic hour two for you. Zach Morgan, who is an attorney with the Institute for Free Speech, he's going to join us and talk about Cruz, Ted Cruz, and Alexandria Occasional Cortex actually getting together to do a a, a bill together. They're a bill banning lobbying. Um, Shocker, the ban would violate the First Amendment, but for some reason, Ted Cruz is on board. I'm I'm actually shocked by that, because if there's anybody who knows the Constitution, it's him. Yet here he is doing this. Um, And then, of course, a host on CBS said that um, the DCC campaign policy protects older white men, um, and this is a problem that you know, keeps cropping up for the left side of the political aisle, which is there, there's like this tendency that you have to vilify old white men. But then in doing so, I mean, you're working with white men because white men are in workplaces p- as well. And it's really kind of unfair because, you know, white guys can't help the fact that they're white guys, just like I can't help the fact that I'm a black woman. I, we just were people. And I think we should be focused more on the people aspect of it. Instead of constantly beating this dead horse of who's permanently tanned and who isn't, uh, it's just exhausting, right? So now we've got this audio from uh, Mick Mulvaney turning back to immigration. Oh, uh, and an update. If you missed the news at the top of the hour from one check out the website. It's great. Great information over there. Um, we had a caller asking about HR five, the equality act. Well, That bill has actually, 520 2019 the bill has already passed the House and moved on to the Senate. It was received there and read twice and referred to the Committee on the Judiciary. And then there have been two roll call votes. Um, So it has passed the House. We have to continue to pray that it will not pass the Senate. Um, It's garbage. And of course, the president would veto it. I don't think they have a veto-proof majority in any case, but still... It, there it is. That's the update on it. Um, and I found that at congress.gov. I was listening to the news at the top of the hour, though, and I heard them giving an update on it as well. But again, if you want to know what the uh, what the status of a bill is, you can type in congress.gov, and then in the search bar, you can type in the name of the bill, HR5. You don't even have to type in its moniker, Equality Act, and then an update will pop up for you. If you want to check any other bills out, that's the way you can get it done. Okay. Um, Okay, I was checking to see if we still had callers. Now, let's listen to Mick Mulvaney. He says, the the question is, if the tariffs actually go into effect here in, what is today, the fourth? So in six days, if the tariffs actually hit and there's a 5% tariff on Mexican goods, how can the president measure, and the Trump administration measure, whether or not Mexico is complying with the requests that have been made in order to stop the tariffs? And Mick Mulvaney actually had an answer to that. Here he is in number one.
2: There's uh, a couple, it's a couple different things they can do. And, in fact, uh, uh, Bob Lighthizer is meeting with Mexicans this week. Mike Pompeo is meeting with the, uh, the Mexican representatives uh, this week, along with Mr. Kushner, I believe. Uh, and we're going to talk with them about specific things they can do. And they know these things. They can secure their southern border, their southern border with Guatemala. And most of the people who are coming in through Mexico now are not, Mexico, uh, not Mexicans. They are from Guatemala and El Salvador, other countries south of Mexico. That border is only a quarter uh, as long as the border with the United States. They could secure that border. They could go after their uh, domestic terrorist organizations, their criminal organizations who are in the business of moving people across Mexico. Keep in mind, at any one time, there's 100,000 migrants in Mexico making their way up to the United States. And lastly, they could make Mexico a safe place for these people to claim asylum. Ordinarily, when you leave a country like El Salvador and you claim asylum, you do that in the first safe country in which you arrive. Mexico is safe. The people should be able to stay there if they're really seeking asylum so the specific things that the Mexicans can do regarding the the measure we 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 intentionally left the declaration sort of ad hoc so that we could work with the Mexicans to make sure that things did get better so there's no specific target there's no specific percentage but things have to get better they have to get dramatically better and they have to get better quickly
3: so that was really clear wasn't it man that Mick Mulvaney can get a whole lot into a quick soundbite and he did that the whole interview. Every question he was asked, he had an answer. It was fast. It was direct. It was a nice soundbite. Well, here he is again. The question is, will Americans pay for the tariffs? Because that's what we're always told. Well, Americans can afford a tax increase, but Americans can't afford to pay any passed on uh, costs for tariffs. Because the, the whole idea is that any amount that you tariff another country, they just increase the price of the goods and the Americans pay the tariff. Well, in the case of Mexico if the goods are, the cost of the goods are increased, then Americans will buy the goods from another source, right? Because is Mexico the only place we can buy anything? I don't think so. If the Mexican avocados are way more expensive than avocados from somewhere else, then the Americans will buy the cheaper avocados. It's that simple. Same thing with the cars. If the cars are tariffed here in the United States because Mexico refuses to comply, then those cars will be 5%, 10%, 5%, 10%, whatever the percentage is more expensive than other brands of cars, which means Americans will say, "Well, this car looks like it's like more expensive than this one." I mean, have you not done that? You're looking for one kind of car. You realize that used and new, this car is in this price range and you want to be in this price range. So you start looking around for a car that's comparable and unless you're totally married to that car brand, you're you're gonna look for the car that has the options and suits your needs that is also in your price range. That is what will happen. So fewer cars will be purchased from there. But don't take it from me. Here's Muck Mulvania number two.
2: Um, two different answers to that. First of all, that's sort of, yeah, I get that. That's the economic orthodoxy that when tariffs go up, consumer prices go up. But the proof is in the pudding. There is no inflation. Prices have not gone up. We have uh, put tariffs on China. We're putting par- tariffs on Mexico. And inflation is still under control. That's because that old-fashioned economic orthodoxy doesn't work when it's relatively easy to substitute other goods prices from china have gone up american consumers have gone to products that are made in the united states for example that don't carry those tariffs we think the same thing will happen here and american consumers will not pay uh, for for the burden of these of these tariffs secondly and the second part of your okay. answer is this is this which is there's already a price associated with illegal immigration american taxpayers are paying hundreds of billions of dollars for illegal immigrants they are paying hundreds of billions of dollars for the drugs that come across the southern border. So there is already a cost associated with this that we are trying to get off of the backs of ordinary Americans. We've been very specific from the minute that this uh, proclamation went out that this was an immigration matter. It is not a trade matter. So the USMCA is a trade discussion. That's ongoing. That's why Bob Lighthizer is meeting with his Mexican counterparts this week. This is an immigration matter and the two are separate. We could solve one. We hope we solve both. We believe that the USMCA is a great deal for the United States of America. We think it's also a good deal for our Mexican and Canadian partners and we hope that Congress would pass it. In fact, we believe very firmly that if Nancy Pelosi would simply give it a vote, it would pass.
3: So the, the, uh, he, he gave a lot there. First of all, um, why hasn't the US MCTA come up for a vote in Congress? What does it harm Democrats to have a bill that actually h- helps American workers in myriad n- industries to be more competitive with our neighbors to the north and the south? This is one of those no-brainers for me. The same way that they want to do infrastructure because they feel like infrastructure helps all Americans, and it's, a bipart- it's one of the few bipartisan issues that have left because it involves the government handing out tons of taxpayer dollars with no strings attached. So they're all for it. The MCTA should be the same thing. The trade deal that the president has instituted, that he's gotten all these parties together and they've agreed, finally that we are tired of being their piggy bank just because we're neighbors doesn't mean we owe them everything in our pocketbook and Congress won't even give it a vote. They won't even give it an opportunity to go through. That's the kind of dastardly duplicity that we're facing right now in in our political operations. That's why President Trump calls it a swamp because only in swampland would you be sitting up with something as good as the MCTA And it wouldn't come up for a vote, but they did vote. They actually passed this garbage H.R. 5 out of Congress. They passed it out of the House. They were able to get that garbage done, but they're not able to get. The trade deal done, which improves the prospects for Americans. I just it's, you know, what can I say? I'm over here like what can I say i'm radio host I'm supposed to have something to say about every little thing, but what can what can you say about that drama okay, so uh, yesterday, I mentioned the iTunes thing iTunes is going away. I just want to give the quick update if you hadn't heard about it and if you're an Android user, this impacts you in like zero ways totally you're you're out you're off the hook. but if you do have an iPhone, apparently um, the What's going to happen is there are three apps that will replace iTunes. One is, it's basically movies, Apple Music, and um, another one. Those apps are where you'll have to have those. Oh, and podcasts. So podcasts, Apple Music, and Apple Movies. Those will be where you can get things where you used to just go to iTunes to get them. Now, how this makes any sense, I don't know. How this makes things easier for users of Apple products, I don't know. How it improves the experience for app, I don't know. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't improve the experience because it's three additional apps you have to have. So if you're like me and you have to scroll through three pages on your phone of apps, it's three more individual apps you have to have on there and three more opportunities for them to collect your data, monitor all of your activities, and force you into buying things that... So you have to have this in order to buy this, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's, that's the update. Um, I would hope that we would be um, moving to a place with Apple products that they would give. um, They would give some thought to what best helps their customers but I also read in the release that they're, the, the part of this is that they're moving away from the iPhone. So, you know, the iPhone has almost complete market saturation. So why would they make a huge change to the iPhone or, or, or to like how central the iPhone is to their business model? Why would they get, you know, millions of people to buy the iPhone, hundreds of millions of iPhones in America, and then say they're moving away from it? I just, I don't get it. So a couple of quick news bites uh, as we're going out of this segment. We have uh, Zach Morgan, attorney for the Institute for Free Speech, joining us next segment. Um, we uh, There's a story out. The Broward County deputy, Scott Peterson, has actually been arrested for failure to act during the Parkland School massacre. You know, his nickname was the Coward of Broward. He's the one who he basically hid behind a police car door and he could hear the shots inside. The kids were being murdered and he was outside. So the, uh, he's a former BSO deputy, Scott Peterson. He's been arrested. I mean, this is breaking, breaking news. Um, posted like just a few minutes ago. Disgraced former Broward Sheriff's Office deputy, Scott Peterson, has been arrested for his failure to act during the Parkland school shooting that left 17 people dead. And 17 others wounded. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement said Peterson, 56, is charged with seven counts of child neglect, three counts of culpable negligence, and one count of perjury. The bill seeks to strip Scott Peterson of his benefits. That's a bill that's been put forward. Um, And he's been deposed. And this arrest comes after 14 months of investigation by the FDLE. He's already resigned, but now they're talking about charging him with these things. He's outside while the shooting is going on. They have a video posted. I'll put this up on Facebook if you want to watch. All right. We'll be back with more after this. I'm Stacey Washington.
0: Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products.
3: Not only do you get a great product, and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets, you're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association.
0: Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters, Len Ingram and Jim Duncan, to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as, or better, than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States.
4: The great thing about Redeem Clean is, not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association.
0: For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net.
5: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, over the years, I have written about how people in high tax states have been migrating to low tax states. Unfortunately, many politicians in those states want to argue that tax rates don't affect investment or even migration. But the latest data from the IRS demonstrates that once again we have tax migration. Between 2012 and 2015, a net of $8.5 billion in adjusted gross income left New Jersey and $6.2 billion left Connecticut. Illinois, for example, lost $13.6 billion. However, during that same period, Florida, with no state income tax, gained $39.3 billion in adjusted gross income. You can even see tax migration between high-tax states. As an editorial in the Wall Street Journal puts it, income flows down the tax gradient. New York lost a net of $850 million in adjusted gross income to New Jersey and Connecticut, but at the same time, New Jersey gave up $335 million to Pennsylvania. Now, it might be tempting for politicians wanting to raise taxes to write all of this tax migration off to merely an example of Snowbird flight. After all, people have been moving from the Northeast to Florida for decades. But the examples I just cited show that it is more than just a migration to warmer climate. It is a migration to low tax states. The tax migration, especially of the affluent, have had a negative effect on state budgets. Revenues have fallen short in states like New Jersey, Illinois, and Connecticut. That has resulted in budget deficits that have forced legislatures to cut public services and even funds to local government. The local governments have responded by raising property taxes, thus increasing more tax migration. All of these facts and figures are a reminder that people vote with their feet when you tax their pocketbooks. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet,
0: a biblical view on antisemitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure to welcome good friend of the show, Zach Morgan. He's an attorney for the Institute for Free Speech. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zach.
4: Glad to be here, Stacey. Thanks for having me on.
3: Okay, so let's talk about this. You've got Ted Cruz, the probably one of the few men in America who has the entire Constitution and Bill of Rights memorized and understands all the underlying you know, points and probably has memorized some of the Federalist Papers, and he's partnered together with Alexandria Ocas- Occasional Cortex um, to put together a bill that they claim will help do what?
4: Uh, they, they claim that this will, will help fight political corruption. Um, but again, given the, uh, the actors involved, it, it reminds me of an old T.J. O'Rourke quote. It's one of my favorites, which is, you know, we have a, a stupid party in Washington, or an evil party in Washington, whichever one you, you think is which, six, five, and pick them. Um, occasionally, they get together and do something that is both stupid and evil. We call this bipartisanship.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs>
5: and
4: while this isn't evil per se, what they what they're seeking to do is one of those things that sounds very good. They uh, they they came together over Twitter naturally and put together a clean what they're calling a clean ban on any member of Congress conducting paid lobbying going forward uh, once they're they're out of office. Uh, this is, this is allegedly trying to go after a sort of revolving door that people are always talking about. Uh, the problem is, of course, that lobbying is a, is a pejorative term, as the D.C. Circuit has called it. That it's expressly protected by the Constitution of the United States. One man's lobbyist is another advocate who is simply petitioning the government for redress of grievances, which is part of that First Amendment that I thought Ted Cruz had memorized. And So if this goes through which you know given the the bipartisan actors involved it might it's one of those situations where you have something that is that sounds again very very good but at the end of the day it's expressly unconstitutional
1: Mm.
3: okay why is he doing it do we do we have any idea why he would ever sit down with aoc to try to get something done
4: well, I mean, there's, there's part of it that is a, uh, sort of a feel-good story in this age of extremely negative partisanship that we have, where, you know, you've got the, the extremely conservative Republican, extremely uh, socialist, liberal Democrat uh, coming together on something that is advocating for the common good, quote-unquote. But really, um, and, and maybe that's part of what's going on here. There's there's optics. I'm sure this, if you put this to a vote, this probably gets 95% support. Um, it, it, it's, it's that there's in fact, a reason why we have the Bill of Rights, so that really good-sounding and constitutional provisions can't get put up to a vote. Um, what I think is also troubling about this is it's really just empty virtue signaling. Um, members of Congress uh, are going to be, still going to be incredibly influential people once they're out of office, simply by virtue of the fact that they're former members of Congress. They're still going to be able to uh, seed people in their networks to become staffers, to write legislation. Uh, Maggie Glacius, who's you know. They, uh, over at Vox, he, he pointed out that you know, if you're a former member of Congress and you become general counsel to an incredibly powerful organization, that's still a position of power within that organization, in the same way that being a, being a paid lobbyist is. So if your concern is, is political corruption, this isn't a way of doing it. And by completely extinguishing a fundamental constitutional right, even albeit for a highly unpopular group that is members of Congress, it, 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 I, I, I said it's simple, bipartisan, and unconstitutional. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: so, so it, it, it what what they would have to do essentially if they wanted to stop former members of Congress from having this kind of influence is they would just have to say once you've been a member of Congress you can n- and never have another job because any job Actually, yeah yeah I yeah. mean it,
2: I,
4: Charles uh, Charles Cook over at National Review he 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 wrote something about this a few days ago that I that I I, I strongly agree with where he says there's just something about the word lobbyist that triggers something. In the the American lizard brain, basically, there's there's a part of the of American political unconsciousness that strongly believes in this sort of like Rustylian general will that if we we get all the lobbyists out of Washington and all the former members of Congress out of Washington, then all of a sudden everybody's going to get together under an oak tree and we're going to come up with fantastic legislation that the entire country supports and. And it's obviously nonsense, which is something that the founders understood. James Madison talks about this in the Federalist Papers, that really your options are either extinguish public debate or set up faction against faction so that people, uh, can, through intermediating processes in Congress, come up with legislation as a compromise, which is essential for a nation of 320 million people. And part of that involves allowing people to have paid and unpaid spokesmen of their choice to represent their political points of view. But again and this is since you're in Missouri Stacy I, I know you know about the case that, that I have out there where uh, we I represent a, a gentleman named Ron Calzone who got mm-hmm. paid by nobody
3: to go to he's Jefferson a friend City he's to, a friend an amazing yeah, 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 and a great I guy. Mean, citizen guy this guy yeah. he spends all of his time advocating for issues and he refuses to accept even a lunch. Even if he, if he feels like the cup of coffee you're offering him costs more than 50 cents, he won't even let you hand him a cup of coffee. He's completely like, you know, he, did, he doesn't accept any money. He does all of the work and the research himself. He writes everything himself, researches it, and he sends out inform informational emails to people like me where, honestly, I live here and I can't keep up with everything that's going on. But his emails help keep me on the tip of the spear for understanding what's happening and they're, the only reason they're attacking him, Zach, and you know this, is because he's effective. They're only attacking him because this is the, the only avenue by which they have to stop him from impacting legislation. And it's it's spurious, but they're, this is what they're using.
4: Well, and, the, and what, they, what they said is uh, that Ron, for all of his, un, as you pointed out, incredibly uncompensated citizen activism, um, well, that's lobbying, and you're a lobbyist, therefore you have to register and report with the government. And obviously, we're we're fighting that in federal court, saying that's also unconstitutional as a violation of the petition clause of the First Amendment. But it, it is it is one of those things that we have to be be cognizant against. You know, we've, we've, again, I think it's just something about the American political culture. I mean, we we hear the word lobbyist, and we instinctively think, well, that's bad, because you know we would never hire a lobbyist. We would hire you know an advocate or something <laughs> of that nature to to uh, to support whatever we personally uh, uh, we personally believe in very strongly or we would go to citizen activists to do it. But lobbying is petitioning. Petitioning is protected by the First Amendment, and the government needs to stay out of it. Um, and again, back to the AOC Cruz proposal, it is, again, one of those things where if Ted Cruz supported, uh, put it forward a piece of legislation that said, former members of Congress no longer have due process rights or can no longer exercise the religion of their choosing, unconstitutional, however much we may hate members of Congress for you know, being members of Congress. Uh, and, and just because of the fact that they've slapped a different label on it, called it good government and a lobbying ban, just that doesn't get rid of the harm to the constitutional fabric that's happening here.
1: Hmm. <laughs>
3: it's just, you know, what's what's, I mean, we've all been there where you realize that someone's actively working against you and then like a few hours later, you realize, hey, they're actively working against me. That must mean I'm pretty effective. Like, you, it's, you know, you're, you're just like, what, mowing the lawn or mopping a floor or something. And you're like, wait, does this mean I'm actually doing something? I'm over the target. That's what you, you're – and you're shocked because you just, you're just trying to do what you're trying to do. And that's genuinely – like, that's Ron Calzone in a nutshell – He's somebody who's so busy working, he doesn't even it, it probably took him a good couple of minutes before he realized, wait, oh, they're suing me because I actually get stuff done. I have to defend myself. Like <laughs> he's just so busy working. And and so I just think I do like Ted Cruz. And I do think he is one of the greatest constitutional minds. He's such a wonderful treasure for us as a nation. Um, someone who's principled and has the very best of intentions, but this is one that really, I'm perplexed by him doing this. Unless it's just a desperate attempt to have something they can say they tried to work with Democrats on. And I don't even, he doesn't even strike me as the kind of person who would put up a farce just so he could have something to point to, to say, look, I did try to work with them. It doesn't seem like that's his way.
4: Well, and and I can't speak to the motivations of Senator Cruz on this, but people get things wrong. And this is just one of those instances where, uh, where Senator Cruz is, is quite frankly wrong. And uh, and again, the the reason why it's important to connect this to not only Rom's case but just generally is, I mean, if, if Congress can get away with banning lobbying for small classes of unpopular people, in this case, members of Congress, simply because it. it Polls well or genuinely, maybe people believe that this is a good government measure. And maybe, and I, I don't even want to judge it as a policy initiative, because it's so, it's so obviously unconstitutional. Um, maybe it would even be, quote unquote, good government if we, uh, if, we, if we did this. But once you start chipping away at petition rights, it, 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 the slippery slope is really fast. And, you know, you may think that, okay, it's perfectly fine to restrict petitioning activity for former members of Congress, but inevitably the flack ends up hitting the wrong cow zone of the world. And so we just it's very important that we be vigilant on all fronts, even when it's people who, you know, otherwise people may otherwise strongly support. Um, whether that's Ted Cruz, I, I, I don't believe that you're a supporter of Ocasio-Cortez, but even if you're a supporter of, uh, of, of Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, she's, she's also just wrong on this one.
3: So you point out in your article over at the Institute for Free Speech, ifs.org is the website, ifs.org. You actually point out over here that the actual text of the legislation may only further compound the constitutional harms, which there's actually a definition of lobbyists, which is codified at 2 U.S.C. 1601. And you you have some questions in this paragraph here. Can you kind of explain what, what, what that's about?
4: Oh, sure. Uh, so the, the federal lobbying regime is, is relatively robust. Um, we, we, if you are concerned about political corruption stemming from lobbying, we, at, at the federal level, strongly regulate paid lobbying. Um, basically, lobbying is defined as anything that is done to influence a member of Congress. And the, the only bracket to that is um, you have to have a, be engaged with a lobbying contract um, essentially you have to accept $2,500 uh, in lobbying or conduct $10,000 in lobbying expenditures. And so the question that I, I have is, is how broad is this going to go? I mean, if, if, if Ocasio-Cortez and Cruz start tinkering with the federal definition of lobbying, uh, it's possible that members of Congress won't be able to basically go to Capitol Hill and talk about policy in any capacity. Um, if they expand this to not just federal lobbying but state lobbying, I mean, it's, you're going to make it impossible for former members of of the legislature to go back home, and just as citizens, you know, in retirement, go to Jefferson City and and speak about legislation because of how strictly Missouri is trying to regulate lobbying by saying it's any uncompensated policy activism. And if they actually do anything to change the federal definition of lobbying by unhooking it from the $2,500 uh, in payment registration threshold. Uh, that that would have vast ramifications beyond simply regulating uh, an act, re- regulating former members of Congress. If they un- if they get rid of that threshold requirement, essentially they turn the entire federal lobbying law into what Missouri is trying to do around Calzone. Uh, so we, I, again, we're waiting on the text of this legislation. Maybe it'll never. Maybe nothing will ever come of it. But, uh, you know, we have to be vigilant. We have to be watchdogs on this and hope that nothing gets snuck into what otherwise looks like, Uh, again, a quote-unquote good government measure.
3: Mm. Okay. So we'll have to keep up with you on this because um, the issues are so thorny and so kind of, like, they're – you know, you're an attorney, you know, this it's kind of outside of what, you know, we're just not going to be sitting around at our table tonight, Zach, talking about this case. <laughs> like, you know, we, we'll we'll talk about Ron Calzone, certainly, but we would not be talking about this thing with Ocasio-Cortez and the lobbying because it's just not germane to our everyday conversation. And so even at our house where we discuss politics a lot, that means it's even less likely at most regular Americans who actually, you know, they're happy all the time and they rarely talk about politics. They're not going to be aware of this at all. Um, or if they are, they'll think, oh, finally a Republican trying to work with a Democrat on something. They're not going to understand how dastardly this is. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely keep up with you on it and certainly send me any updates on this so we can get you back on to, uh, keep abreast of what's happening here. And then, of course, I've reached out before. He's never, ever responded. I will ask Senator Cruz to come on and talk about why <laughs> this is a good idea. Um, he, will he acknowledge my existence? Will he come on the show? Only time will tell. <laughs> I'll ask him. <laughs> Zach Morgan, attorney for the Institute for Free Speech. Thank you, friend, for coming on today with us.
4: Absolutely, thank you so much for having me, Stacey. You All guys right, have a
3: talk good to you soon. You too. Uh, you know, it, it's it's always nice to have you know a lawyer that can come on, and explain stuff to us, and kind of get us up sharp on these issues. Um, sometimes I just because you know lawyers. They get such a bad rap, but then you meet somebody like Zach Morgan, who he's on—he's on the side of trying to keep all that other stuff back. And we need lawyers like him uh, to be doing the work that that he's doing. So it's really great that they're able to do that. Um, so I—I want to point you guys over at Twitter. The article that we we're just discussing is up over at ifs.org, and it's called Simple. Bipartisan and unconstitutional, Cruz, Ocasio-Cortez lobbying ban violates the First Amendment, and it's by Zach Morgan. If you want an easy way to find it, just go to my Twitter feed. I just tweeted it out. You can click there and go through and read it. It's actually not—it's not super long. You—you you can get through it. You—you you won't be like, you know, falling asleep or anything. It's interesting, and you can quickly read through it and share it if you want. Um, That's—that's—that is one of those ones where. I like to share them because you never know what people are going to read on online social media. Um, sometimes I get the most interesting notes from people who are like, Oh, I, you know, you share that piece and thanks because I read that and I, you know, what I want to So, uh, definitely share. And just in case you're wondering stuff that's trending on Twitter right now, national cheese day. I'm all about it. Um, why I never invite people over. Not sure what that's about. Scott Peterson, because dude just got arrested. And then straight pride parade. I'm almost scared to click through, but I will over the break. We'll take more calls when we get back. 866-963-2037. 963 2037 More Stacy on the right coming at you.
0: She was a baby girl left abandoned on a doorstep in China. Our friends met her in that orphanage that had saved her life, and they adopted her. And believe me, she's not an orphan anymore. There are a lot of folks who have felt orphaned for much of their lives, either left behind or left alone. Maybe you know the feeling. Well just like that little girl, someone went a long way to get you. Someone who chose you. He's adopted a lot of spiritual orphans into his family, and he's ready to adopt you too. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We've been cut off from the Heavenly Father by choosing to run a life that He was supposed to run. So we feel spiritually fatherless. But God's Son came all the way from heaven to that awful cross to pay for your sins and give you the chance to be His. You can belong to Him by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. It's something we'd love to help you do. Call us at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. You will never feel orphaned again. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr.
4: Morris, where do blind cave fish come from?
0: Chris, it seems that some fish get trapped in caves living in total darkness. They have no use for their eyes, thus their eyes atrophy and no longer develop. But some of these fish are virtually identical to fish that live in lakes and streams nearby, which do have eyes. I've long wondered what would happen if you took some of these blind fish and raised them in a lit environment. Would their eyes begin to develop? The fish still have the genes for eyes, but they're never switched on. Thus, the eyes are never expressed. I've often wondered if they're interfertile with the sighted fish. This seems to be a good research project, but as far as I know, the blind fish are protected, and no such research has been done. Chris, fish were created on Day 5 of Creation Week, and that happened... In Genesis.
5: To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800 628 7640 and mention the promo code FACT. Securing America.
1: The disputed South China Sea is in the spotlight as the U.S. and China continue to do battle in the trade realm. Kind
0: of call out, you know, good behaviors. Bad Acting
1: Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan says the U.S. presence in the Indo-Pacific region gives nations confidence.
0: I think what you're going to see over time is people really being able to access their economic
4: exclusion zones, right? Just there'll be more and more confidence.
1: Shanahan cited military exercises with partners in the region.
4: We understand the security
0: capability that we're building are going to facilitate an open and free Indo-Pacific.
1: Shanahan's remarks underscoring America's frayed relations with China as the Trump administration imposes sanctions on Chinese tech giant Huawei and approves a weapons sale to Taiwan, the self-ruled island China claims as its own. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News.
0: You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Democratic leadership in the House, they have a new policy meant to protect incumbents, people currently in office. The policy is no challenger to that, to that seat, uh, no consultant can work with a challenger to that seat. Now, the idea is to help keep the people who are in Congress, make them stay in Congress. Here's the problem. Two-thirds of those people in those safe house seats are older white men, the people who are making the challenges often, yeah. often female, often younger, often mm-hmm. people of color. So, people are looking at this new policy and they're thinking, not a good look for the Democratic Party, unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Is it going to change, do we think?
0: Like, I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned. All right. All talk about it tomorrow. White men are everywhere, Tony.
1: Everywhere. <laughs>
4: You're <laughs> surrounded There's by. A lot of
1: you guys up here right now. <laughs> Interesting observation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm quick. <laughs> <laughs> so.
3: Gail King started cracking jokes because these two white guys are saying all these people who they're wanting to keep in place are white guys, old white guys. And so is the DCC working against itself and their stated aims of diversifying everything? And my question is, is, is it that they still haven't learned the lesson that diversity for diversity's sake does not yield results? So everyone should have a crack at opportunities and the best person should win. If that ends up being someone of color or someone not of color, that that's that's the extra portion of it. It has to be that the person is there because they are good. Right. And before somebody who's on the left emails me and says, well, you're only where you are because you're black. No, I'm not. I'm not on American Family Radio because I'm black. So next with that, baby. I've worked hard and prayed hard to get here. And the decision to bring me over, I mean, you have to ask leadership what exactly it was that made them bring me over, but it's not because I'm black. I know that. If it's one thing I know about the people at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk is that they're adhering to the word of God. So don't email me about your, you know, you problems, because that sounds like a you problem to me if you think that's why I'm here. Uh, if you think that's why anybody is here on any part of any of the networks over here at American Family and Urban you just don't understand how things work over here. Uh so this is I'm going to do news rundown now cuz there's so much stuff. I'm and I I want to get to all of it. Um I want to touch on these th- because these I'm a little I'm a little flabbergasted. First of all, I've kind of given up on uh, Scott Peterson getting arrested or being held accountable for letting those kids die. I really had. And now he's been arrested? This is its great news. It's great news. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if he'll be convicted. But on the big scheme of things, can we all just agree that it's fantastic news that dude is going to actually be held accountable for his inaction that day? Who knows how many kids he could have saved if he just tried? Um, so yeah, you got Scott Peterson getting arrested and then there's a story out. Now, y'all, first of all, y'all know I like to drink coffee. So, when you see the Stacy on the Right Show mug getting lifted up on the show, 90% of the time it's got coffee in it, 10% of the time it's hot tea. Um, it's hardly ever a cold drink. Like, it's never anything cold in here. Although, I did have my first iced latte from Dunkin' Donuts on Sunday. And let me just tell you yes. Thank you, Lord. And yes, I'm, I'm all about it now. I, and I've always, previous to this, hated iced coffee. The idea of it. I was just like, ew, no thank you. But now that I've had one, and it, it wasn't one of those super sweet ones with a whole bunch of syrup and stuff in it. It just had a little bit of uh, like flavored syrup. It just had a little bit of simple syrup that they pumped in for me. Um, this is super important topics, y'all. <laughs> okay, so this story is over at theguardian.com, and it's about 25 cups of coffee a day. Now, first of all, if you're drinking 25 cups of coffee a day, like what else, do you, how do you have time to do anything else with yourself? Oh, you just, just post it on Facebook um, so we can know how you're living. High consumption of coffee is no worse for arteries than drinking less than a cup a day. So coffee lovers who drink up to 25 cups a day can rest assured that the drink is not bad for the heart, scientists say. Some previous studies have suggested that coffee stiffens arteries, putting pressure on the heart and increasing the likelihood of a heart attack or stroke, with drinkers warned to cut down on their consumption. But a new study of more than 8,000 people across the UK found that drinking five cups a day or even up to 25 was no worse for the arteries than drinking less than a cup a day. This research was part funded by the British Heart Foundation and is being presented at the British Cardiovascular Society Conference in Manchester. I love y'all Brits, and I know some of you listen to the show, so please don't take offense. But what? I don't trust this. I don't trust this at all. Everything in moderation. And I also think, and this was told to me by my internist one year when I went in and I was complaining about having trouble getting down to sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And the first thing she said was, okay, you know, every decade you, your tolerance for caffeine actually lowers and it's an individual type thing. For some people it lowers a smidge and they barely notice. For other people, it's a significant decrease in your ability to tolerate caffeine She asked me how many cups of coffee I drank and at what point during the day do I stop drinking coffee. And at that point, I was still having coffee at like three and four o'clock in the afternoon, which I still kind of do, but I could even have a cup of coffee at like six o'clock. And she said, you need to cut it off at 2 p.m. And what I found is that I actually do better when I have coffee that is decaf or half-caf, half-caffeinated, half-caf, half-decaf. The later into the day I go, I have to basically say, you know, I'm, I'm gambling here. Do I want this cup of coffee? You know, and do and if it's decaf, which is when you say decaf, it's almost no caffeine at all. It's just a teensy bit. If you have decaf, if I, I can have decaf up till four. But if it's caffeinated, I have to cut it off in between 12 and 2 p.m. And that's for this decade that I'm living in. Who knows what it'll be the next decade. And it also is impacted by, you know, if you're, if you're underweight, overweight, ideal weight how much exercising you're doing, how many steps a day you're walking, et cetera, et cetera. But I just I point that out, because it took her asking me that for me to kind of, okay, wait, let me check in with myself. And I started paying attention, instead of kind of mindlessly making coffee and just drinking it, I started paying attention to how often per day I was drinking it. But I, I really feel like if you're drinking 25 cups of coffee a day, when are you drinking water, and you have to drink water in order to keep your skin clear and to keep your brain functioning well, to keep your memory operating, to help you sleep at night, um, you have to keep yourself hydrated. And there are a number of your functions that you, the, their background type stuff that you just want to be well in order, which requires that you drink water. So I kind of take these with a grain of salt. Um, and they, they have here Dr. Kenneth Fung from the QMUL The quote from him is, despite the huge popularity of coffee worldwide, different reports could put people off from enjoying it. I don't know if maybe they, you know, their study, which was led by experts at Aston University, including 4,803 people going to hospital with a cardiac arrest and assess their five-year survival. Okay, but if you don't have that same history of having a cardiac arrest, um, you know, so again, take it as a grain of salt. The best source for this type of thing Like, I I know for a fact, if I printed this story out and took it to my internist and said, I can have 25 cups of coffee a day, she would laugh. And then she'd say, you can't be serious. This is not good for you. You know, that's not good for you. And then she would probably want to talk to me about why I felt like I needed that much caffeine per day. What, you know, what is the reason why I'm not getting enough sleep at night that I can stay awake on my own without, you know, having 25 cups, you know, two or three cups. I've seen where people have been advised not to have six cups a day. But again, that's based on the individual and their own medical history. So I just thought that was a really interesting headline um, for them to have up today. 25 cups of coffee a day safe for heart health. That sounds just crazed. Um, So remember, we've talked many, many times about the tech giants and how they've been behaving um, and how the House uh, Congress, the Senate, everybody has, well, Josh Hawley, Senator Hawley here from the state of Missouri, junior senator, he has actually taken this up as one of his signature issues. And that is holding the tech companies accountable. And so now you've got the House, he's in the Senate, now you're in the House, the House Judiciary Committee has launched an antitrust investigation into the tech giants. Now, the reason this is important is that, like for me, I'm constantly losing followers on Twitter. I don't maintain a steady balance of them. If I don't have a viral tweet, my numbers go down. Like I've lost 700 followers in the past 30 days and I'm about to drop below 68,000. But I had a viral tweet about six weeks ago that pushed me back up. So I had about 900 new followers. So why am I losing followers like 160 a week? Why? And how do I know that? Because I have a little thing that I've signed up for that tells me how many I gain and how many I lose. I lose more than I gain. Why? Um, I had someone send me a direct message last night. I don't get, no, like, when you tweet, I don't see it in my timeline. I, I'm on your timeline, and all the tweets you've sent out in the past 24 hours, I haven't seen any of them in my timeline. Now, I don't understand why that would be, unless they're throttling me down because I'm talking about social issues, and I'm tweeting about, about you know, right-sided politics, and attacking the liberal narrative. So I guess I just don't deserve to be on there. Someone messaged me last night and said, I haven't seen your tweets. Maybe you should head over to Parlor. Parlay. It's parlor.com, but it's pronounced Parlay. Now, remember, I talked to you about that here on the show, I don't know, six, eight months ago when it first came out. And at the time, the website wasn't operational, but now it's up and running. But part of me says, why should I take time to build up over there when i have already built up over here? And tech giants are crushing my ability to reach the people who have obviously decided they want to see my tweets. Same thing on Facebook. We currently have, what, 16 people watching the live stream, constantly getting messages from people telling me they're not getting the notifications. That's because these tech giants don't want the message that we're putting on here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk and this particular show, they don't want it getting out there. And why? Because it's the truth? Because it might hurt their narrative? Because it might make people vote properly according to Christian worldview? Bingo, ding, 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 ding. We win a prize for getting the right answer. But nobody's watching because, you know, so thank God we have our own built-in audience here through that that is untouchable by the social media giants, which is why it's so important that you support American Family Radio, and that you stick with us on the terrestrial side. So the House D- Judiciary Committee has announced on Monday that they will launch a bipartisan sweeping antitrust investigation into these tech giants. The quote is, a small number of dominant, unregulated platforms have extraordinary power over commerce, communication, and information online. Based on investigative reporting and oversight by international policymakers and enforcers, there are concerns that these platforms have the incentive and ability to harm the competitive process. The antitrust subcommittee will conduct a top to bottom review of the market power held by giant tech platforms. This is the first time Congress has undertaken an investigation into this behavior. So the committee's investigation is set to focus on three areas, three main areas, documenting problems with competition in digital markets, determining whether dominant firms are conducting themselves in an anti-competitive manner, and determining if existing competition policies and antitrust laws and enforcement are up to taking on these issues. Now, there's a big picture, obviously. The Justice Department and FTC have agreed to split up efforts to investigate charges of monopolistic practices by Google and Amazon, and the DOJ got Google and and the FTC got Amazon, per the Washington Post and Bloomberg, who are reporting on this issue. The DOJ is preparing to launch an investigation into some of Google's practices, and this is according to the Wall Street Journal. So this matters because members of House Judiciary have been worried about big tech's power for a while now, and they're turning their attention to the issue, and expectations are that they they're not going to hold back. They're going to go into this full bore. The moves set the table for the kind of long-running antitrust cases that can sap company resources, result in embarrassing legal discovery and depositions, and in the most extreme scenarios, lead to corporate breakups. And just in case you think I'm reading from a conservative website and that this is wishful thinking, this article that I'm sharing with you is from axios.com, not the conservatives, not the conservatives. So um, I just, I, I look, I want, what I, what I want is for it just to be fair. And I always tell my kids, there's no such thing as fair. So let me, let me adjust that. I want it to be a level playing field. So you can win or you can lose based on what you do, as opposed to them crushing conservatives and what we're putting out based on our worldview. I know the worldview I hold and uh, that I espouse here on this show is not one that is shared by people who work at Google and uh, Facebook. But that is my right as an American citizen to hold these views and to share them at will and Facebook and Google and, and Twitter are private corporations, but they represent a part of the American life that is inescapable. And their decision not to give a level platform for anyone to engage in effectively shuts off the ability for people to speak into the public discourse. And that is an, an effectively crushing free speech, which is a constitutionally protected right. I know there are disagreements uh, on this subject, on the right side of the political sphere because people don't want to make private corporations into utilities and allow them to be regulated by the government because that's an expansion of government power. But exactly what is the remedy for organizations that tend to crush the speech that they don't like and it always tends to be on the right? Yeah, that silence you hear, that's the answer to the question. There isn't anything being suggested other than what we're seeing happen now. What's interesting about this is if you look at the comments that they have in this Axios piece, you have House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler, which you can't get this done without him because they control that committee, and ranking member Doug Collins, who's a Republican from Georgia. So it's both sides looking into this. Look, I, okay? I want to see something happen. I'm tired of tweeting and nobody seeing it. There, I said it. (laughs) Okay. That's the music. I'm done here until tomorrow. God's blessings chase you down and be upon you in the most awesome way possible until we meet again. Stacey Washington.